Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Renovation Church. So glad to be here with you all. As Rachel said, my name is Justin Domino. I'm the pastor of leadership development at New Hope Community Church uh, up in Cambridge and Isani. This is my second time here. I was last here at July 4th of last year, but was able to preach. And it was funny because I preached, I don't know if you remember me, if you were here last year, I talked about how I take cold showers every morning. And two people have told me so far this morning that because of that, they now take cold showers. So if there's one thing that is ever impactful about my preaching, it's my morning shower routine, which is really fun and exciting to hear about. Um, a little bit more about me. I have a, a family, a wife, and a couple of kids. You can see a picture up here on the screen. It's my daughter on the left. That's my daughter, India. She's one. That's my wife, Maddie. And then that's my five-year-old daughter, Israel. We call her Izzy, but that's my family. They couldn't be here today. My daughters are both getting over RSV, which is a huge bummer if you have kids. Um, it's been a pain in the butt. I've been sleeping on the couch for about 10 days with my five-year-old. So my back hurts, but I'm ready to be here. I'm ready to preach. I want to encourage you as we start, too. You know, I've been watching your, your church sort of from afar. I know Pastor David pretty well, um, and I see you guys on social media. I listen to Pastor David's messages every now and then, and I just want to encourage you. You're in a really, really good place here at Renovation. I know no church is perfect ever. There's always problems at every church, but what I see from you is that not only are you growing, I mean, I don't know of any church that's ever had to expand their building after like a year of being open. That's incredible. But churches don't always grow for good reasons. Renovation is growing for really good reasons, though. You're serious about the word. You're serious about following Jesus. And I like to tell my church, I don't just like big churches. I like big Christians. And that's how I feel about renovation. So you're in a great spot. Be encouraged. No church is perfect, but you are in a great spot. But I want to begin with a question this morning. Have you ever had a moment in your life that has totally rocked your faith? Have you ever had a, a, maybe a personal tragedy that has really had the opportunity to totally shake the very foundation of your faith that you've maybe stood on for years? On January 4th of this past year, I lost my second grandma to Alzheimer's. And it was, is a, is a tragedy. It's terrible watching people go through these terrible diseases. As a 29-year-old now, I understand it more and it's just part of life. But I lost my first grandma, Grandma Carol, we call her Taco Grandma because she's take us to Taco Bell all the time. <laughs> she passed away in either 2008 or 2009, and she had Alzheimer's and dementia. She ended up living in our living room uh, for the last probably a month or two months of her life, and it was just brutal as a teenager watching somebody go through this terrible decline. And when she passed away in our living room, it was this moment that as a, as a lost teenager, really, really was difficult for my faith. I bring this up because as we talk about contending for the faith, as we talk about staying true to the gospel and the core beliefs of our Christianity, personal tragedies are often the, the number one thing that pulls us away, maybe from the church as a whole or easily into even like false beliefs and false teachings. Now, social pressure can do this too. Every now and then, I think you hear a, you know, like a YouTube video from atheist Sam Harris or from Neil deGrasse Tyson, and he brings up some zinger that Christians don't know how to answer, and it rocks our faith. But for the most part, that's not how we lose our faith. That's not how we fall into false teaching. How we fall into false teaching, a lot of times, is either social pressure of those around us or it's personal tragedy. Here's what I've learned from both of my grandma's death. The number one thing is that God is still good. 
regardless of the pain, regardless of the heartache, regardless of the sin on this earth, suffering does not come from God. He's still good. But the second thing that I've learned is that these are the moments where we have to realize this is where we contend for the faith. And if we have a strong and sturdy foundation where we understand the gospel, we understand the Bible, and we have the ability to discern what is worldly or what's false teaching versus what is godly and biblical, that's how we can contend for the faith. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Jude. We're going to be in verses 17 through 21. It's on page 836 if you need the Bible underneath your chair. But 17 through 21, and what we're going to see here in Jude is sort of this main idea that the world follows an ever-changing flesh, but Christians, we follow an unchanging truth. This is what Jude is going to talk about. He says this, starting in verse 17, but dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who will divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you into eternal life. Now, if you've been here over the past few weeks for this series, you probably know the context of what Jude is talking about. There's a lot of false belief and unbelievers in the church. He was going to begin by, he wanted to write this letter as an encouragement to say, we all share the same salvation, so let's encourage one another. Let's find joy in that. Let's stay true to that. But he had this check in his spirit and he had heard that there was false teachings happening within the church. So he did a, a pivot and he decides, I'm not going to write about celebrating our salvation. I'm going to write about calling out false teachers in the church and people who are ungodly in the world. And what I love about Jude's pivot here is that he shows us that there is a time to be encouraging and uplifting and have a KTIS-like faith. But there's also a time to contend for the faith and recognize how important it is to stay true to the word and to the gospel and to follow Jesus. And this is one of those times. Now, Jude calls out that there's scoffers in the church. And essentially, there's scoffers in the church and outside of the church, but here's essentially what, what he's saying. They may be falling, but you should be standing. They may be falling away. They might be following whatever desire that they have, but you should be standing firm in the faith. And the first thing that he tells them, he tells them to remember what the apostles prophesied about. Remember what the apostles prophesied about. Now, if you use your Bible, you'll see that there's quotes around the prophecy in the Bible. Here's what Jude says. The prophecy is, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. You'll see quotes around that. Now, it's debated among theologians that is, is Jude quoting somebody specifically, like the Apostle Peter, it could be from 2 Peter, or is he just summarizing the entire New Testament? Because every single person who wrote a book in the New Testament, all of the apostles, except for the book of Philemon, they all have a charge or a warning against the false teachings or against the ungodly desires in the world and how we as believers have to stand firm. So what he's doing is he's basically summarizing all of this, that there is this warning, there is this true reality in the church and out of the church that we are different. And these scoffers that he, that he talks about, he says that they are defined in three ways, three ways. One, 
they divide. Two, they follow natural instincts. And number three, they don't have the Holy Spirit. Now, over the past few weeks, you guys have been talking a lot about divisions within the church. So today I want to talk about the ungodly desires of people outside the church and how that can infiltrate the church. But Jude is going to focus more on the outside world. Now, as he says that they divide and they have these natural instincts and they don't have the Holy Spirit, that last one is the key. The difference between us as believers and the outside world, outside of these four walls of the Renovation Church, is that we have the Holy Spirit. Unbelievers do not have the Holy Spirit. And so what that causes them to do, and oftentimes Christians still struggle with this, but what this causes people without the Spirit to do is you have to follow something. As believers, we follow the unchanging spirit of truth. As unbelievers, they follow the ever-changing, the ever-changing flesh. Now, this is often marked out in what Jude calls natural instincts. If you have your own Bible today, it's a different version other than the NIV. You might see the word sensual in there, that they're very sensual people. And in our minds, we automatically usually think that that means that they're struggling with sexual immorality, which is definitely the case with these people. But the word in the NIV is actually much more translated into natural instincts, which I love, which is what the NIV uses. It's this natural instinct, this feeling that we have in our hearts, these animalistic primal instincts of, I want to follow my heart. I want to do what I want to do. You can't tell me what to do. As Pastor David talks about a lot, this is the my truth movement. You have your truth. I have my truth. We all have our own truth. And let's try to live happily ever after in that mode. But that's impossible to do. If what I think is true is different from what you think is true, eventually we're going to collide and we're going to hate each other because you're intolerant. So it's not going to work. But this is the way that we live if we don't have the Holy Spirit. Our lives become, this is how I feel. This is what I want to do. And I'm just going to follow my dreams. I'm going to follow my heart. And I'm just going to do what feels good. Now, on the outside, if you're just thinking about this from a non-religious perspective, who wouldn't want this, right? If, if you can't tell me what to do and I can't tell you what to do, to be honest, that sounds really good. <laughs> I would love to live in that mindset. And I want you telling me what I have to do. At the same time, there are consequences that we don't often even realize when it comes to following our own natural instincts. In fact, I want to read for you a snippet from an article by a young woman named Christine Emba. She writes for the Washington Post, and she was writing about the consequences of the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s, and how in that moment, in those decades, it was all about freedom and liberation, especially for women. It's all about freedom and liberation. I just want to do what I want to do. I want to freely express myself in every way, but it's come with consequences decades later. Here's what she says. And she's not a believer. She says this. In our post-sexual revolution culture, there seems to be a wide agreement among young adults that sex is good and the more of it we have, the better. That assumption includes the idea that we don't need to be tied to a relationship or to marriage, that our proclivities are personal and that they are not to be judged by others, not even by the participants. In this landscape, there is only one rule. Get consent from your partner beforehand. Again, sounds good. But the outcome is a world in which young people are both liberated and miserable. While college scandals and the Me Too movement have 
may have cemented a baseline rule for how to get into bed with somebody without crossing legal lines that hasn't made the experience of dating and finding a partner simple or satisfying. Instead, and here's where it gets depressing, the experience is often sad, unsettling, and even traumatic. This is the consequence of following our heart, following our feelings, following the natural, primal instincts that we have in our hearts. It will lead to consequences we never even realized. While the sexual revolution was all about freedom and liberation, what it caused was people who were slaves to their own desires. Author Christopher Watkins says this, there is a freedom in slavery and a slavery in freedom. Let me repeat that. There is a freedom in slavery and a slavery in freedom. Meaning, we have this conceptualized idea, especially in America, because this is what we're founded on, this idea of freedom. We have this conceptualized idea that freedom means you can't tell me what to do. But the biblical definition of freedom is let's submit ourselves to God and his word. Let's be slaves to his word because we're all slaves to something. If it's not going to be the Bible and Christianity and God, then we're going to be slaves to our own natural desires, our own natural instincts. We thought we were finding freedom in the sexual revolution, but what it's caused is people who are, who are raped, who are traumatized, who are addicted to pornography, who thought that liberation was the answer, but it wasn't. What it caused was slavery to our own desires. And Jude says that this is what the people are like on the outside of our churches. Now, he's not trying to set this up as like, this is an us against them. We need to fear them. We need to hate them. Because the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is a hospital for the broken. It is never that we turn inward and we just protect ourselves and we just hang out with ourselves. And it's all about us who are believers and we shut ourselves out from the outside world. Broken, sinful people are welcome in our churches because we believe that Jesus welcomes broken sinners. That doesn't mean he affirms all things. What it does mean is that you have an opportunity to be set free. Many of you sitting here today, you know that freedom because you have accepted the message of the gospel and the Holy Spirit has come into your life. You're not like those who are void of the Spirit. You are one who has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, and that changes everything. So while the scoffers and the mockers of Christianity and the the cheap grace people of our faith, while they distort and they twist it, there is a call to stand firm. And I love how, how Jude talks about there's always going to be scoffers. These people who are following their own natural desires, they will always look at Christianity and think that we are just a bunch of naive people. There will always be people who mock the faith, who laugh at the faith, who cheapen the grace of Jesus. This isn't new. The context and the cultural climate that we live in today, while there's so much against Christianity, although we're not living in persecution, at least here in America, there's a lot against Christianity right now. And yet, this has been happening since the very first centuries. Essentially, since Jesus walked the earth, there has been people mocking and scoffing against Christianity. The goal for Jude isn't to say, do you guys realize this is happening? The goal for Jude is to say, be prepared. 
This is how the non-believers are, but this is how you are. The world might be falling, but you should be standing. They follow the ever-changing flesh, but we follow the unchanging truth. So the next thing that we do is we have to figure out, well, what do we do with this? And I love Jude's writing because he's very clear. And he transitions and he pivots here in verses 20 and 21. I love Jude's writing because he's not over-spiritualized. He doesn't speak in a lot of Christianese. Uh, He makes it very clear. But here's what he says. While the world is falling, he says, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you into eternal life. Now, the call here is to keep yourself in God's love. But what we can often do with the scripture like this, because in our minds, keeping ourselves in God's love, we so easily twist that into thinking, I have to work for it. If I want to keep myself in God's love, and he's sitting up on his throne, he's got this big white beard, and he's looking down on us, disappointed. If I want him to love me, I better be good. Now, being obedient to God is part of Christianity. Every single one of us should be obedient to God, be obedient to the Holy Spirit. But our faith isn't built on what we do. Our faith is built on what Jesus did for us. It's not about working for it. It's about because we are saved, now I can do good things. I am free to be obedient to Jesus and to glorify him with my life. But in our kind of Western context of pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and and working really hard and being entrepreneurs, we drag this thought into our faith and we so often think, well, I just got to work harder and be better. But to build yourself up in the faith isn't about do better. Building yourself up in the faith and keeping yourself in God's love, I just gave away my first point, (laughs) is building yourself up in the faith. Number one, if we want to keep ourselves in God's love, we have to build ourselves up in the faith. This is what Jude calls us to do. So my wife and I, we bought a house. Um, it'll be two years ago in June. And we love it. So we used to live in a, a lake house, which was great. But it was very, let's just say janky. Um, lots and lots of problems. Our crawl space didn't even have a floor. It was just dirt. It flooded every year. It was just terrible. We loved the view, panoramic view, like 175 feet of shoreline. It was amazing. But the house was a dump. And every single week we were working on it. We were grateful for it, but we were working on it. We ended up flipping the house and buying a newer house built in 2017. And we got into this house thinking, we are free. (laughs) No more housework. But in the last year and a half, or almost two years since we've lived there, the furnace has gone out four times. The AC has gone out three times. It's cost us like three or $4,000. Everything else has been great. But these problems just keep happening. In fact, last Friday, it was up at 3.30 in the morning so that my daughters wouldn't freeze. <laughs> it's like 62 degrees in our house. I'm like, what is happening? It's driving me nuts. When it comes to our faith, our faith isn't going to cost us an arm and a leg. <laughs> it's not going to need this constant renovation where we're constantly working on it. But there is maintenance. If you want to build yourself up in the faith, you have to maintain your relationship with God. And here's what that looks like. Reading your Bible, praying daily, and coming to church. And I know you guys just had a guest speaker come in and tell you the most basic thing ever. (laughs) But this is what it means to build ourselves up in our faith. 
We have to be in God's word daily so that we know the truth. If prayer is our way that we speak to God, the word is his way that he speaks to us. You want to hear God's voice? You want life change? You want to know the truth? Stay in the word and you got to pray daily with that. The third thing is you got to keep yourself in Christian community. So that means coming to church on Sundays as much as possible. Go to the cabin when you need to, but come to church when you're here and be involved in house groups. This is key for the growth of your faith. So here's a problem that often happens. Problem that often happens is we get in this mindset that Christianity is all about me. And if I want to grow in my faith, then the pastor has to preach a message so good that I felt close to God today. If I want to build myself up in the faith, the worship leaders, they better be on. Not only, they better be on their game, but they better sing the songs that I like. And when, I, when they sing those songs that I like, it's just like me and Jesus. I feel so close to Jesus. Now, this, that's good, but part of being a healthy Christian and building yourself up in the faith is being a disciplined self-feeder at the same time as being under the authority of your pastor and your church. Sometimes we're not always going to sing songs that we like. We're not always going to hear a message that just totally blew us away. But there's something good and right and healthy about being under the authority of Pastor David and the rest of the staff here. There's something good, right, and healthy of having somebody come up. And even if you don't like the songs, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. So worshiping him. You know, my wife, she loves avocado toast. I have learned to like it, but the first time that she had me make it for her a few years ago, I was like, what is this green stuff? And why do you want garlic salt on it? What kind of breakfast is this? But it didn't matter what I think she should have had for breakfast. It matters what she wanted for breakfast. And it's the same thing with God. We don't always worship God in our way. We worship God in his way. We're under his authority. But if you want to be somebody who's growing in the faith, you've got to be, both be in the church and under the authority of a church, but also be a disciplined self-feeder. Take accountability and responsibility for your faith. It's a huge step that you need to take. The second thing that we need to do, what Jude calls us to do, is to pray in the Holy Spirit. Now, when we hear pray in the Holy Spirit, especially as a Baptist church, our thoughts can kind of run wild sometimes. My thought when I read this is like, oh, go into a catatonic state and just speak in tongues. And that's what it means to pray in the Holy Spirit. And speaking in tongues, if, if you believe in that, that's, that's okay. That's not what I'm here to preach about or against or for anyway. But what it means to preach or to pray in the Holy Spirit is to simply be led by the Spirit as you pray. Don't just go through the motions and say the same prayer every single day, but let the Holy Spirit convict you. Let him bring areas in your life that you need to change, that you need to repent. And King David gave us a great formula of how to pray in the book of Psalms. He said, search me and know me. Know everything about me so that you can lead me in the way everlasting. It's a great formula for prayer. Let the Holy Spirit search you. Pray in the Spirit. Let him guide you. If you don't want to be somebody who's led by your natural instincts as the unbelievers are, then how do we combat that? We pray in the Holy Spirit. We say, Holy Spirit, what do I need prayer for today? Holy Spirit, what am I going through today? Holy Spirit, speak to me and pray in the Spirit. This is how we keep ourselves in God's love. We build ourselves up in the faith and we pray in the Spirit. It's the formula that Judah's given us. Now, when I say the phrase build your, or keep yourself in God's love, 
Many of you here, you know what this feels like. And this is the source of your joy. The love of God is what gets you out of bed in the morning. The love of God is your abundant life. It is your source of life. But I would venture to believe that there's at least somebody in the room today that when I say the love of God, you think you've never had that before. In fact, you've never felt further from God. And your conception of God right now is he's on his throne with his big white beard and he is disappointed in you. Because you've sinned, you've made so many mistakes, you're far from him, you're broken, that when we talk about people who are being led by the spirit rather than their natural instincts, you think, I am the one led by my natural instincts. The truth of the gospel, what the Bible teaches us, is that we are under God's wrath and God's judgment for our sins. The book of Romans chapter six says the wages of sin is death. That's the punishment, that's the penalty. But it doesn't stop there. The rest of the verse says, but the free gift of our Lord Jesus Christ is eternal life. See, so many times we just stop on the judgment and we don't get to the grace. We have to realize how loving God is that while we can be under God's wrath, there is a free invitation for you to accept eternal life in Christ Jesus. And if you want to be free from your sins, here's what you do. You, one, believe in the gospel, that Jesus died for you. He took that penalty for you on the cross. He resurrected three days later to defeat sin, hell, and the grave so that you and I could be free. We take that message and we believe it. And the result of that is number two, step two, repentance. Now we can turn from our sins, not just confess our sins, but we can actually turn from our life of sin. Not saying that we're going to be perfect because none of us are perfect except me. Um, But this idea of repentance, I'm just kidding if you're new here. This idea of repentance is that we actually turn from our life of sin. That the addictions And the repetitive sin, the slavery to our natural instincts, it actually turns away. And we become free and liberated. If you want that gift this morning, I want to give you that opportunity. In fact, let's all bow our heads together. If you would like to give your life to Jesus for the very first time, or maybe even just rededicate your life to Jesus today, because you have been following your own natural instincts. You have been a slave to your sin. This is your opportunity for a fresh start and a new life. And what I want to do is I want to pray with you and I just want you to repeat this prayer after me. Now, before we pray, this prayer doesn't have any magical words in it. This is about your intention and your heart before God. So you can pray them out loud, you can pray them in your head, do whatever you'd like to do. And then after the prayer, just like everybody to keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed, so that those who prayed can stand. If you want to pray this morning to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, pray with me. Dear God, I come to you as a sinner. In need of your grace and your forgiveness. I confess that I have sinned and fallen short. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. and rose again on the third day. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me. Come into my life 
and be my Lord and Savior. Now keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you made that decision today and you prayed for the first time or maybe you're rededicating your life, would you just stand or raise your hand in this moment? If that's you, I want to meet you out in the lobby after the service or anytime between now and the end of the service. Come meet me and the welcome team because I want to wel- or the, the follow-up team. I want to welcome you to the kingdom of God and celebrate with you and resource you and help you follow Jesus because this is the most important decision that you have ever made in your entire life. It means your eternity. So if you made that decision anytime between now and the end of the service, just come out to the lobby. I'll be right outside the doors with the follow-up team. The rest of us, let's pray as we head into worship. Father God, we believe in you, we trust you. Help us, Lord, to contend for the faith, to recognize and have discernment of all the false teachings and even the ways of our natural instincts and how they can lead us into slavery of sin. God, free us from this. Holy Spirit, come into our lives, fill us, change us, transform us, convict us, lead us in this way of the everlasting where we are brought not just into eternal life for eternity, Lord, but here and now we have your presence, we're changed, and we're free. God, we come before you this morning and we are going to worship you because this is a free gift from you that only you can offer and nothing, nobody else, nothing else can. So God, we believe in you, we trust you, and we love you. Amen.